0: I wanted to check the author on that song. That is a beautiful song, and the story behind it is a a neat story, and I just wanted to make sure I was right before I told you that. Anyway, if you ever want to know the story, George Beverly Shea wrote that, and uh, I think you could argue that he was used of God in some amazing ways before he passed away. And if you don't know who he is, Google him, all right? Google him, and uh, neat, neat man. Hebrews chapter 9 tonight. Hebrews chapter 9. Good to see everyone here this evening. Sometimes I wonder, I don't know if you have thoughts like this, but sometimes I wonder if we sing too much at church and then we have a good song service like we had tonight and I think now we're doing fine. And, uh, you know, to hear the harmonica playing the old old rugged cross that's just beautiful and then to be reminded I'd rather have Jesus than anything. It's that's something you don't want to uh, lose sight of, and uh, the music is powerful, and the music can be a help in our Christian life, and and I say that also because tonight I'm going to try to implement a little bit of music into the sermon, though I will not be preaching or I will not be singing, and uh, so you can not worry about that, okay? I'll not sing to you tonight, but I am going to implement a little bit of music Uh, because music can be a help to us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the good day that it's been already. We're thankful that we're able to be here tonight. I pray that you'd bless now the effort to preach your word. Thank you for the music we've enjoyed. And, Lord, thank you uh, just that we can call upon you uh, and, and express thanks for your goodness to us. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, most of you will remember that uh, Dr. Bill and Mary Rice were here and he preached uh, the morning and evening service. And so it's now been three weeks since we've been in our study of Hebrews uh, chapter 9. That's when we began uh, looking at chapter 9 as we've made our way through this study. And you may remember, and if not, I hope this will ring a, a bell with you, but you may remember that three weeks ago we watched as the writer explained that because of the death of Christ our conscience can be permanently purged or it can be permanently cleansed. You and I can know without doubt, we can know with complete certainty that our sins have been forgiven and that we are on our way to heaven. And what makes that possible is whenever we recognize that Christ is the one who has done the work on our behalf and it is not dependent upon us and our works. So many people get hung up on this idea as to whether or not they're a good enough person. Have I done enough to be saved? Am I going to get to go to heaven because I've done this or I've done this or I've been guilty of this? And the beauty of the gospel story is this, is that it doesn't matter what we have done. It matters what Jesus Christ did on our behalf on the cross some 2,000 years ago. And so it's a wonderful thing to be reminded that you and I can have a cleansed and purged conscience permanently, completely, and entirely. And then it was two weeks ago that we watched as the writer reminded the Jews what was required for salvation to take place. He reminded them, first of all, that blood had to be shed by Jesus Christ and then also that Christ had to die. There was a cost associated with the salvation that you and I are able to enjoy and we need to not ever lose sight of what was required for our salvation. We need to remember that it was not G-rated. We need to remember that it was messy, that it was gory, that it was awful, that it would have been something that our minds really cannot understand or comprehend. So we need to be reminded that the fact that we get to enjoy salvation today came at the cost of the blood of Christ and the death of Christ. But thankfully, Jesus Christ rose again. And that is what makes our faith different than all other faiths. And so we rejoice in that. And that is what's been conveyed in chapter 9 to this point. In just a couple of moments, we're going to finish chapter 9. But I want to share a thought for just a moment that I hope you can identify with. I, I guess not everyone could identify with this, but I hope that you can identify with it. I think most of you know that my parents live about three and a half hours from us. And ever since Susie and I got married, we have lived several hours away from my parents. And so you understand that whenever Nathan came along, that being our first child and their second grandchild, they wanted to be close to us, but God never allowed that and God never worked that to where we would live in the same town like my brother and his family does. And so a couple of years after Nathan was born, of course, came Hannah, then a couple of years later came Leah. And so for the last 18 years, my parents have been grandparents to our kids, and it's been a wonderful thing, but what has What made that wonderful in part is this, is that my parents have put forth a lot of effort into the relationship, okay? And so though the miles separate us and though the hours separate us by way of distance, Over the years, one thing that my parents have done is they have determined that they are going to be a part of my kids' lives. And so they come here for regular visits, and we meet them halfway, and we spend time together. They've come here just for special occasions, only to turn around and go back the same day. And they call, and they text, and they FaceTime, and they do all these different things because they want that relationship. Now, As that is so, what used to happen, and I say used to for a reason, I'll explain more in just a moment, but what used to happen is this, is my parents would let us know that they were planning on making a trip out here, that they were coming for a visit, and we would make the mistake of telling the kids that Granddad and Mimi were coming. It was a mistake because at the time, they did not understand time. So if we said Granddad and Mimi were coming, they assumed almost immediately that that meant Granddad and Mimi were almost here, that they were on their way and it would just be a matter of moments. And so we would have to try to explain to them, hey, listen, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. Stop asking. We'll let you know when it's getting closer. And that is how the story would unfold for for several years. And so whenever it would get close, we would say something like this. Hey, listen, Granddad and Mimi are going to be here in just a few minutes. Well, because of their love for my parents and because of the relationship that they enjoyed, the kids would make their way into the living room and they would make sure that the windows were open just looking for whatever car they thought my parents would be driving. Sometimes we would go outside if the weather was pretty and we always knew what direction they would be coming from. And so you know where we live, so there's the stoplight right there at 23rd and Duncan. Sometimes we would stand outside in the driveway just looking at the stoplight, just looking for their car. And whenever we would see their car and whenever the kids would see the car, guess what it was? It was pure excitement. They're here, they're here, they're here. Pure excitement and pure joy. Because they knew what that meant. That meant for the next 48 hours they could not get in trouble. That meant for the next 48 hours they were going to get to be spoiled by whatever my parents wanted to do for them. But there was this sense of anticipation and this sense of excitement based upon my parents' arrival to our house. Now that was when they were small. Now understand, please, the relationship hasn't changed any at all. My parents still work hard to be involved in their lives, and my my parents and my children still love one another immensely. That is true, but over time, you know, as your kids get older and a little bit more distinguished, they don't want to stand outside in the driveway looking for cars at a stoplight only to yell, they're here, they're here they're not necessarily going to be crawled on top of the couch looking out the window waiting for them to pull into the driveway there's still a sense of excitement but it is different You understand what i'm saying you understand what i'm talking about right they still look forward to it they still enjoy not being able to get in trouble for the next forty eight hours they still like being spoiled but it is a different set of feelings and it is a different set of emotions being expressed. Now we'll come to back, come back to that in a couple of moments, but tonight look in verse 23. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 23, keep in mind that the writer is writing to fellow Jews, Jews who were very familiar with the religious order of their day. They understood sacrifices, they understood offerings, they understood everything that it meant to be a Jew by way of their religious association. The writer has just talked about the blood of Christ and the death of Christ. So in verse number 23, he is going to reemphasize points that he has already made. But in verse number 23, he said this, It was therefore necessary, this was a needed thing, that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. And so here's what the writer says. He said it was necessary or it was needed that the pattern of things or the things in heaven should be purified or washed or cleansed with these. With what? With the blood of Jesus Christ. But he said in verse 23, But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So what was the better sacrifice? Well, that would have been the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His blood, obviously, was better than the sacrifices of animals, of goats, of bulls, and things of that nature. And so he said that it was needed for these things, the pattern of these things in heaven, to be purified, of course, with the blood of Christ. Now, you and I, our minds cannot understand the transaction that was made in heaven when Christ died. Okay, I don't care how deep we think we are, I don't care how theological we think we're geared, you and I cannot understand and fully comprehend what happened in heaven when Christ died and paid the penalty for our sins. But he said in verse number 24 to the Jews, again, who would have completely understood this, he said, "...for Christ is not entered into the holy place..." made with hands. So it's not as though he went into the tabernacle or he went into the temple that the Jews were familiar with. He said, Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures or the types of the true that would have uh, been in heaven. He says, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And so something happened that, again, our minds cannot comprehend and fully understand. But whenever Christ died, he did not enter into the Holy of Holies here on this earth, but rather he went into heaven, and it was there that on our behalf, Jesus Christ paid for our sins, for the sins of mankind. In verse number 25, a very important truth is brought out. He says, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. What is he saying? He is saying this, and we'll see it more in the next couple of moments, but he is saying this. The sacrifice of Christ was a one-time event. It was a one-time sacrifice. This was not something that had to be repeated like what had to be done with the high priest and the holy of holies going in on behalf of the people. He said, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest earth into the holy of holies uh, the, the holy place every year with the blood of others. He said for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. If the Atoning sacrifice of Christ was not sufficient in that one act, then what he said was this is that Christ would have had to have been sacrificed from the foundation of the world. And we know that that is not the case. So he said in verse number 26. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So what does he declare? He declares in verse number 26 that with the one-time death of Jesus Christ, he put away the sins of man with his blood and with his death. This is a wonderful thing that it is a one time event on behalf of Jesus Christ. And he said, if you notice there in verse number 26, but now once in the end of the world. I don't know about you, but that one stumped me for a little while this week as I was studying. And to be honest with you, all of it stumped me for a while. But that statement itself stumped me for quite a while. What does it mean whenever he said, in the end of the world hath he appeared? It's actually very simple if you think about it. If you read through the scripture, here is what you find and here is what you discover. Is that from the time Christ appeared, from the time Christ had his public ministry, he died, was buried, and rose again. The believers assumed and they truly beheld to this idea that they were living in the last days. They truly thought that the world was soon going to come to an end. They truly thought that Christ was going to set up His kingdom. They believed that they were living in the last days. The Apostle Paul thought this, and Peter thought this, and others thought this. And so it would make sense that as he wrote this, assuming that they were living in the last days, he said that at the end of the world hath He appeared, hath He been made known, to put away the sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Now, to stay with the theme of the one-time death of Christ. In verse number 27, we have a verse that is often referred to in other context, but he said, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. So do you see what he's laboring right now in these verses? He is laboring the fact that Christ was sacrificed on our behalf that that transaction took place in heaven, though we will not understand what all happened this side of heaven. And he said it was a one-time moment. It was a one-time event, never to be repeated, never to be done again. Just as man, you and I, we have a single appointment with death, so Christ also had a single appointment with death. That's good. Because here's what that reminds us of. It reminds us of this truth that Christ came at just the right time in the history of mankind. And that when Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross for the sins of mankind, every bit of that was done according to the plan of God, according to the plan of his Father. Every bit of that was done by divine appointment. Not one thing took place without the permission of God and without it being preordained by God. So just as we have an appointment with death, the writer says, so Christ had an appointment with death, that appointment that he met, and it was an appointment that was offered once to bear the sins of many. And then in verse number 28, he said, "...and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation." So he says that the Lord is going to appear again, but this time without sin unto salvation. And if you're not careful, you might read that and say, well, didn't he appear the first time without sin? And the answer is yes, of course he did. Amen. If Christ had been a sinner, he could not pay the debt for our sin. So he was without sin the first time, but what this statement is talking about is this, is that Christ is going to appear a second time, and when he appears a second time, he will not be dealing with the sins of mankind, but what he will be dealing with is the salvation or the deliverance of those, notice what it says, of those who look for him or for those who are anticipating his return. Now in verse number 28, this may get lost on us if we're not careful, but he's talking about the death of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the atonement of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that Jesus was for you and I in our sins. He is talking about how salvation in the context of things is made available through the blood and the death of Jesus Christ and we can have our our sins purged and our conscience cleansed forever and ever because what Christ has done for us, A one-time event. It never has to be repeated. It never has to be gone through again. And then he said, and I just want to remind you that one day Jesus Christ is coming again. Jesus Christ is going to return. I don't know about you, but I like that little side note that he threw in there. Because it doesn't necessarily flow with the doctrine that he's presented. It doesn't necessarily flow with the the information he's been given. But it's like he just wanted to throw this in there that as Christ came once in the past... As he came to die for the sins of mankind, I just want to remind you, he said, that Christ will come again. And when he comes, he'll come not to deal with sin. He'll come not to die on the cross for sins again. When he comes, he'll not be dealing with the subject of salvation, but he'll be coming to deliver and to take away his saints, those who are looking for his appearance. So I don't know if you can see where this message is headed or not tonight, but if not, I'm just going to throw it out here for you, and then we're going to develop this thought for just a moment. Here is what I want us to consider this evening. Jesus Christ is coming again. The scripture tells us that Jesus Christ is coming again. Now, I don't know about you. I do not question that doctrine. I don't question that theology. There is far too much in the New Testament that would say to you and I that Jesus Christ is going to return. I don't question it and I don't doubt it for a moment. But you know what's happened in my life? The same thing has happened in my life that has happened in the life of my children as it relates to their relationship with my parents. So I already forgot what you said. Okay, then I'm going to help us just for a moment, all right? Remember, my kids used to be excited. They used to be thrilled. They used to anticipate it. They used to be looking for it. They used to be standing out on the front porch, out on the driveway, looking at a stoplight. Is that them? No. False alarm. Is that them? No. False alarm. Hey, it's them. It's them. It's them. That's what it used to be like, and now it's like hey, they're going to be here in about 30 minutes, right? So I've got time to go do this, and I'll be back in time for them to you know, to look excited. I want to ask you this evening if you can identify with me in this regard. That as we have grown in our relationship with the Lord, and as life has taken its course, We have lost the sense of excitement and the zeal and the anticipation with the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. Do you know what it's like to lose sight of that? I know that you do if you're honest. Because as I've said before, I know what happens to me, and I know what happens to at least some of you. Life gets busy, and things are happening here, and things are happening here, and and we get involved in this, and we start looking after this, and we've got this responsibility, and we've got so many things going on that if we're not careful, somebody could say something like this: Jesus Christ is coming again, and we say something like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I know. Don't worry, but, you know, don't bother me with that. I, I've got other things going on." He's coming again, but I've got to look after this, and I've got to take care of this, and I know that we've got responsibilities, but if we're not careful, we can be reminded of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again, and what once brought about some anticipation or some gladness or some excitement, now it hardly even registers with us. Friends, Jesus Christ is coming again. I don't know if you need the reminder, but I need the reminder, Jesus Christ is coming again, and that is a wonderful truth for a child of God to be aware of and to take hold of and to firmly grasp in our heart and in our mind, because that reality can get us through a pretty miserable day sometimes. That truth and that reality can get us through some pretty dark days in our life. Just to reflect on the fact that one day this is all going to be over, that truth alone can put a smile on our face, can bring a, 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 a joy to our heart that we did not otherwise know if we'll just focus on the fact that this is not it. Jesus Christ one day is going to return. I don't know about you, but I lose sight of this fact that one day, one day, there's going to be a trump. The trumpet is going to sound. I don't know about you, that just gave me goosebumps. (laughs) The trumpet is going to sound. Paul made it very clear. One day the the clouds are going to break open. The trumpet is going to sound. And what does the scripture say? The scripture says the Lord is going to descend. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together we're going to meet the Lord and there we'll be with Him forever and ever. And, and I don't know about you, but whenever Paul's makes that statement at the end of all this, wherefore comfort one another with these words, that to me is comforting. This has been a rough day. This has been a rough week. This has been a rough month. This has been a rough year. Somebody may say this has been a rough life. Okay, whatever your scenario is, I don't know. But we can remember one day Jesus Christ is coming again for those who are looking for his appearance. I've been saved. I've been cleansed. I've been purged. I've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I can have the assurance That when Christ returns, I'm going with him, whether I be the one who is risen from the grave or if I'm the one who is caught up in the air. It really doesn't matter to me which one I am. I just have the joy of knowing I get to go. I love that truth. But see, we may sit here this evening and we say, yeah, I I know, I I know, I just, I I lose sight of it sometimes. Okay. Okay. In my office, not knowing that we were going to have a good song service tonight, okay? Because let's be honest, sometimes they're not so great. (laughs) It's just like sermons. Sometimes they're just not so great, okay? The song service. I enjoyed the song service this evening immensely. If you didn't, I apologize. But nonetheless, I was sitting in my office this week and I thought, what are some good ways to remember the blessing of the return of Christ? I don't know how many of you remember the old song, but Jesus is coming again, coming again, coming again, maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and maybe soon. I don't know if you could use that in your daily life. I don't know if you might need to tuck that one away and, and pull it out at some point in and, and a difficult day and just remind yourself, you know What? Jesus is coming again. It may be this morning. It may be this afternoon. It could be this evening. It may not be any of those, but it will be soon. And, and you may say, well, soon's not soon enough. Well, he's not working on our timetable. He's working on his timetable. But if we can just remember Jesus Christ is coming again, friend, that will put a song in our heart that will turn our day and our outlook and our attitude around for three of us. At least not, okay? Uh, Yeah, that's that's a good... If you don't know the song, get to know it, okay? I got to thinking about this song. That's why I said, if you don't enjoy music, you need to learn to appreciate it. And if I didn't say it exactly that way, let me say it. If you don't know music, you need to learn music and appreciate it. Think about this song. We'll soon be done with troubles and trials. See, one way or another, I'm I'm meeting up with Christ. So I don't know if I'll be the one that's dead in Christ and I'll rise first or if I'll meet him in the air. But here's what I know it's a scriptural song, it's a biblical song that one day I'll be done with my troubles and my trials. I will not make one mortgage payment after I'm dead. And for that, I am grateful. I won't care what the utility bills are. I will not care how much the groceries cost. Susie will not have to tell me what she spent and then have to try to justify it to me. It's just she'll not have to worry when I'm dead. She's looking forward to that moment. (laughs) Think about this. We'll soon be done with troubles and trials. It will not matter who our president is. I don't know if you concern yourself with that from time to time. I don't know if you look at the political landscape and say, this concerns me or this alarms me and and, and I don't like this. Isn't it a beautiful thing to know that if Jesus Christ were to come tonight, which he could, it wouldn't matter who they elected after we were gone? They'd only have to worry about seven years of it anyway. They wouldn't even get through both terms. Anyways, that's a little bit more doctrine, but we won't go there. will soon be done with troubles and trials. If Jesus Christ returns, I won't have to worry about who was and who wasn't in church. I won't have to worry about what this person may be doing or what that person may be doing, what I may be doing or what my family may be doing. No, whenever Jesus Christ returns, we'll be done with trials and troubles. I like this one. I shall know him, and redeemed by his side I will stand. I shall know him by the prince in his hands. Isn't that a wonderful truth that when Christ returns, we will not have to be introduced to him. We will know him because we will recognize the prince in his hand. We'll recognize the prince in his feet. We'll recognize who he is as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I mean, think about that. If you're having a rough day, if you're having a rough week, remember, Jesus Christ is coming again. will soon be done with troubles and trials. And when I stand before him, I shall know him. And redeemed by his side, I shall stand. And then I love this part. It will be worth it all. (sighs) If you don't know the words of these songs, I'm telling you, look them up. Life's trials will seem so small. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrows will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Isn't that wonderful? I don't want to throw, a word, throw around the word awesome, but, I mean, that is an awesome, incredible truth. That because of my salvation, because of the work of Christ, my conscience is purged and my conscience is clear, and I can know that one day Jesus Christ is going to come again. And no matter what has happened on this earth, it will be worth everything That we have endured, that I have endured, that you have endured when we see him. And then I like this when we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, will no less day to sing his praise than when we first begun. Our little brains cannot compute that. There's no time in heaven we understand that. Time will be abolished when we are in the presence of the Savior. But if someone were keeping track, someone could say something like this, Hey guys, you know what? We've already been here 10,000 years. And we would have no less day to sing His praise than when we had first begun. 10,000 years, 10,000 days, 10,000 whatever. I think I got the words wrong just a moment ago, but you understand the idea. It doesn't matter how long we're there. We've just begun. See, Christ is coming again. And for those of us who are saved, for those of us who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, when he appears and when, we usher, when he ushers us into heaven, we get to live forever and ever and ever and ever with Christ. But I'm so busy, I don't have time to think about that. I understand you have responsibilities. But if you're having a rough day, chew on that one for a while. If you're frustrated, if you're discouraged, if if life is not treating you what you think is fair and what you think is right, just stop for a moment and say, you know what, it'll be worth it all. One day I'm going to stand beside the Lord. I will know Him. I will be complete. I I will be what I am supposed to be whenever I stand in the presence of the Lord. No more troubles, no more trials. We'll soon be done with all of it, and I'm going to get to live with Christ forever and ever and ever. Amen. a wonderful truth for the child of God. That is not a truth that one who is not a child of God can rejoice in. And the only way that we can become a child of God is when we place our faith in the work that only Christ could do on our behalf where we recognize it is no longer about me and my works. It's no longer about what I'm able to do. No, it is only what Jesus Christ has done on my behalf, but by faith I have to be willing to accept that, recognize my sin, turn from my sinful condition, and completely trust Christ for my salvation. When we have done that, we can anxiously anticipate the return of Christ. And if you've not been looking forward to it, at least tonight, reflect on it. He's coming again, maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, maybe soon. will be soon for him, maybe not for us. But it'll be wonderful. It will be wonderful, and it'll be worth it all. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us to rejoice in this simple truth, this simple reminder. God, we all know it to be so. We believe it. We we would never deny the fact that the Scripture teaches of your return, and yet so many times we live as though we've never heard of it. We live as though we have no understanding of it. And so I pray that tonight you would help us to rejoice in the second coming of Christ, one that we can look forward to. And, Lord, that you'd help us in those dark days and those weary days to find the joy in that truth that is available to us. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.